0: Hello everyone, and welcome to episode eighty-four of the Citric Session. I'm your host Andy Whiteside. I've got good group with me today, as always, more or less. I've got Bill Sutton. Bill, how's it going? Going well, Andy. How about yourself? Good. How was uh How was the weekend?
1: Oh, uh, it was fine. You know, family and and uh, cutting the grass and all that good stuff. My thirteen year old was visiting his grandparents, so I had to cut the backyard for the first time in probably over a year. So. <laughs> You know, my
0: my son went off to college and I cut the grass for the first time in like three or four years. Um, <laughs> came inside and told my wife I was ready to move to a condo.
1: Yeah, I said it's almost exactly the same thing. Except we'd have to buy like three storage units to store all the junk we have in the attic. So oh, you know. I mean, it's just time to clean up. That's right. That's right. Speaking
0: of, speaking of cleaning up, we're going to talk about cloud versus on-premises here in a minute. And I think that's a big part of moving to the cloud is an opportunity to clean up and you kind of forces yeah. you to. Because you can't take that junk with you to a condo. You can't take that junk with you to the cloud. How about that transition?
1: That's right. Yeah. Nice. Perfect. We this stuff didn't plan that either.
2: Uh, John Spalone, how's it going, John? Uh, it's going good. How about you, Andy? Well, good. never mind. I already heard it. So, <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: look, it's going great. Uh, I find myself Sunday afternoon struggling because I I feel like I didn't get everything out of the weekend I wanted. Also, I feel like I can't wait to go to work on Monday morning. It's a weird. It's a weird thing I run through every uh, weekend. Mm.
2: You know, I definitely hear you on that. Ben
0: Rogers, I see you there in the basement. They won't let you up. Will they?
3: Well, I'm, my child just went back to school, so I am going to start migrating myself back up. But today, all the toys are downstairs. So probably over the next couple of days, I'll start transitioning to the upstairs office where I can sit and relax without my child bombarding me with 5,000 questions as he did over the summer.
0: Yeah, I can I can relate. Yeah, you're in uh, Mecklenburg County schools, or no?
3: No, we're in. I'm in Union County. I live in Waxhaw, North Carolina. So, uh, okay. man, they all started back today. The traffic jam's going to be great here in about two hours when I got to go pick them up.
0: You know, I wondered about that earlier over the weekend with school starting back here in the big massive county I'm in, with the pandemic and school happening for the first time literally in a year and a half. You know, are we back to traffic madness? I think we probably are, but we'll see.
2: Well, we've been that way in the D.C. area for a while.
0: Yeah, even forever. With the pandemic and the kids staying home and oh yeah, yeah. Well, and here's the question: Is the madness going to be during morning rush hour, or is it going to be at lunchtime when all the stay-home workers are trying to go out and get lunch and pick up kids from school? Is that when we're going to see it now? In the in the suburbs, not the city, but the suburbs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know.
3: Today was pretty uh, you know, now granted it's the first day of school. You got new parents that really don't know how to get through the traffic line. You got old parents like me that are like, okay, you gotta have them ready to drop, man. Door comes open, you're out the door. Go, 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 go. So uh hopefully by the end of the week we'll get the we'll get the process down and it'll be smoother than it was this morning. But this morning was just uh head in hand going, Oh, help me get through this, Lord.
0: Yeah. They should dress up the, the uh, carpool people with uh, and bus drivers and everything like a NASCAR uniform. Just encourage them to make it like a pit stop. <laughs> well, guys, we were uh, chit-chatting before we picked the blog for today about uh, gateway service, whether it should be used or whether we should be having people consider using on-premises uh, gateways in addition to cloud services and orchestrating and integrating all those Uh, And it kind of led us to this blog around building enterprise resilience lessons learned from 2019, which I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people, unfortunately, just jumped in and started using VPNs. Um, But a lot of people that were somewhere in this on the spectrum of using Citrix had to figure out whether to double down and if so, how to do it. Uh, And I think that's what this blog is really talking about, how to how to create that workflow and resiliency all at the same time under the gun and what we learned from it. Um, I guess I'll start with I'll start with Ben on the Citrix side. Ben, is, is that something you had a lot of customers come to you and try to figure out real time? Well, so for me, the
3: pandemic was right when I started with Citrix. So, you know, my personal interfacing with customers, I wasn't there yet. And so I didn't I didn't get the experience of being able to see customers have to react. I was still in that, you know, new employee training cycle. What has been interesting to me, though, is to see how they've come out of the pandemic and how they've thought about their digital infrastructure. And the fact that I don't think anybody on this call would deny that, man, the pandemic accelerated cloud adoption. And I think some companies are really looking at, you know, now that the smoke kind of settled, it looks like it's starting, the dust kind of settled, it looks like it might be brewing up again. But a lot of companies were asking themselves, we know cloud is coming. We know we we're going to have to make a move to the cloud, but how do we do that? And in, in healthcare specifically, those organizations are still left with how do we keep our on-prem environment running until we can do this transformation? Or what does this transformation even look like? You know, So uh, I see a lot of people that are on the other side of the pandemic going, what do we need to do to shore ourselves up for the whatever the future brings, whether it brings another pandemic, acceleration of business, expansion? consolidation. Those are a lot of the conversations that I'm having is where am I at the day and where do I need to be tomorrow?
0: So, John, you were at Citrix during all, most of this as an employee. Were you insulated from these reactions uh, from customers or were you part of the front line?
2: Yeah. So from from my experience, though, so really it, it's with the, the customers, the it's company. not much of that um direct interaction but it was more of advisory uh it was more of making sure people understood things understood the value and and really it comes from my experience i mean i've been a remote worker probably uh, better part of 10 15 years now so it's it's really really there's an echo somewhere there. yeah i'm
0: i'm going to go on yeah. mute see what happens on my end but I, it started when you started speaking
2: okay is that better or worse? Yes? I don't hear it anymore. Okay. So really, from my experience, it, it comes from applying how I've worked for this long and, and helping people understand that. But yeah, I, I was very isolated from a direct interaction, but uh, more of just advisory to those out there of what they're looking for and where they're going to. And I think one of the, the key topics we're looking at here, too, with this blog is understanding those. Uh, Give you an example. When the dam broke in California years ago, uh, the FEMA response, building out environments to support those here in Maryland, Ellicott City, uh, we had the floods. You know, we had to build out environments quickly to support government teams going in to assess and support and do their jobs and, and influxing technology very quickly to support those loads that wasn't there before. And what it seems like we're hitting here is because of COVID, there's so many solutions that got thrown out real quick. And now that we're starting to come back to reality and come back to an an understanding of where we kind of were beforehand is how do we balance this capability that we gave people during the pandemic as well as services that we provided beforehand? How do we join those together to give that resilient environment for the workers?
0: Well, and before I transition over to Bill, I'm going to read a statement on the screen here from the sharing of the blog. It says, by contrast, digital resiliency can be defined as the ability of the enterprise to not only restore essential business capabilities, but also capitalize on the changed conditions to bounce back even faster, better, stronger. I think I've run into a few customers, at least, that were going to go back to the way things were pre-pandemic, and they're not leveraging that bounce that they could have and should have gotten. I wonder if it's because of success during it or lack of success during the transition. The next statement talks about 70% 70 of organizations had to uh, come up with some kind of acceleration of their digital transformation because of the pandemic. Bill, have you seen any customers that have actually back the other way as quickly as they could?
1: Yes. Yes. I have a real good friend who works for one. Uh, I won't name the company or the location, but this company was not prepared for the pandemic. Um, they did not allow remote work, even from even for programming and so forth. So when they went, when the pandemic occurred and and the governor said, you've got to send people home, they can't be in proximity to one another. They struggled to enable remote work through VPN technology, which of course, as we all know, has its limits. And in this case, it, it caused a lot of problems. So as soon as uh, they were allowed to bring people back, they brought all their people back and what they have found is about 30% is what I've been reading, about 30% of the workers have either resigned or threatened to resign uh, if they have to go back to work full time. Uh, Some of that I think is just personal preference, but some of it, quite frankly, I think is folks concerned about getting sick. Um, So I I think what we're going to see in other companies that are perhaps more progressive is uh, a blend, a hybrid, like uh, John was alluding to, in the sense that we're gonna They're going to, maybe it's three days a week in the office and two at home or the other way around. Um, and the the advancement of the tools that they put in place for the pandemic are going to expand even further um, with the use of, of remoting technologies like what we all sell and support, as well as cloud.
0: Yeah. So, Bill, you're really talking without even realizing you're doing it about the human element, which is pointed out in the blog, that that uh, human element around hybrid work. Yeah. Is uh, conducive of what they want, what they need, and what society is telling us we have to do for now. Yeah, I mean,
1: this this you know historically it's all been well work from home, work from home, but it's really work from anywhere. I mean, I you know I work from home. I have since I joined Centegra for the most part. But right around the corner for me is one of those work sharing places um, that I'm sure we're all familiar with, and I could easily go there and work around other people. I haven't chosen to do that, but and I could work from a Starbucks. So that resiliency. Making that connection resilient and and um, and available to the user allows them to be able to work from anywhere, not just home. Well,
0: let's let's use this blog to get back to where we started the conversation before we hit record, yeah, we which heard. is, you know, from a technology perspective, how do you solve that? And and we kind of came to the um, realization that it's cloud and and IT as a service type stuff. But at what point have you? Over rotated, Bill. Bill, uh, Ben. Using your conversation specifically, you were talking about Citrix Gateway as a service, which is a cloud technology, which leverages, you know, the ability to have a central point where both ICA is coming and going to. It's kind of there in the middle, which really shows off the the power of the ICA protocol and its its lightweight efficiency. But is that the right answer for some organizations versus keeping gateways on premises? with maybe a failover to a cloud gateway service? It sounds like you've worked with a couple of customers recently where this has become a topic.
3: Well, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, the question that's always being asked when we're talking to customers and we're doing design aspect is, you know, how close can you get the connections to the actual VDAs? Historically, that's been using an ADC. So your ADC's in the same facility or in, it's close to the VDAs as it can get. There's not a lot between it uh, and the ADC. With the cloud gateway service, you know, you're putting much more between it and the actual VDA. You've got the cloud connector. I realize we have the rendezvous protocol that can you know, kind of get around the cloud connector, but who knows how many hops you might be hitting to go from the cloud gateway to the VDA. And so that's just, where I started out the conversation with you guys is, is, you know, I'm not very good with the rendezvous protocol. I know that brings some enhancements to the gateway service, but is there a better way to do it yeah. without using the ADCs? And, and that's where, you know, I'm not making a statement as a Citrix employee. I'm a technician that works in the Citrix environment, works in the cloud environment,
0: and I'm wondering what yeah. is the best way
3: for us to achieve that.
0: I keep touting the ability of the um, ICA protocol to, even with extra latency, work pretty well. Zintegra is a real world use case where we used to have our ADCs and our VDAs in the same place, our gateways and our v, our uh, desktops in the same place. Uh, I'll just, you know, John wasn't around during that time. He is now with a virtual desktop using the gateway service. Bill, when we moved our virtual desktops and started using gateway service, but the VDAs stayed in our data center in Atlanta, did you notice any end user difference?
1: Actually it
0: was better. Well, and I thought it was better too. And I don't know if it was just mental or what, but Ben, it's kind of like logic would tell you it has to be better even without rendezvous protocol. I mean, it has to be worse, Um, but it ended up being the same or better or unnoticeable. I fought it and then it, what happened and I didn't notice a difference. So maybe, maybe it's a moot point.
3: I don't know. I know that we've got, um, a particular issue that we're dealing with where we're having to go back and say, Hey, to, you know, build a better reliant environment, we need to bring some infrastructure back on site. Um, And so that's kind of what got me thinking about this, you know, is when do you use an ADC and when do you use a cloud gateway? And uh, I don't have the answer to it. That's why I posed it to this, this group here, but it's real interesting to hear your personal experience with it. It also experiences that we've also seen in the field.
0: Hey, hey Ben, can you shed any more light into why in this particular case, it's looking like maybe going back to gateways on-premises makes sense?
3: Well, unfortunately, this customer experienced a cloud outage, and the cloud outage, you know, came at the worst time it could. It was right at the beginning of the day when uh, people were getting logged in, and so they couldn't get authenticated. And when they couldn't get authenticated, they couldn't do anything. So they go, hey, you know, we think this cloud service is a wonderful thing. It's done a lot good for us, but when it's not available, it's not a good thing. And so that's where we've had to come back, you know, and say, okay, maybe we need to build some on-prem infrastructure to guard against that. And, of course, I don't blame the customer for raising an eyebrow and going, well, that's kind of goes against the cloud motto. And, you know, cloud has gotten much better, but no technology is perfect.
0: Did you, did you look at the customer and say, well, I guess your environment's never gone down, right? I, yeah, I mean. I know, you can't yeah, say yeah. that. Question yeah, for yeah. you, um, and I want to turn this over to John. Um, was it Well, John
3: did make, I, I, want to, I want to add something, not to interrupt you any, but John did make a, a comment early on in our conversation before we started recording is, you know, a lot of these questions come down to, are you on premise? Do you still have infrastructure that's in your four walls? Or have you gotten that out into a service? Are you in an Azure? Are you in a third-party data center? Are you somewhere where it's not your infrastructure anymore? And I thought that was an interesting comment because I, at first, it didn't land on me how pointed that was. But as I thought about it, that does go into play of you know what's between where your users connect and where they're needing to go to. And I think that does have a lot to do with the
0: design of a solution. So, so John, put on your Technical architect hat for a minute, and then Uh-oh. address this conversation. And then I challenge you to put on your business guy hat and address the and address the same thing. I'll be curious to see if you address it exactly the same way. Go ahead with the uh, you know the technical architect architect hat, and how would you how would you tell in general a customer to proceed here?
2: Uh, cloud versus hybrid versus all on prem.
0: Well, I think the hybrid is the, um, is the easy way out, right? Oh, hybrid, yeah. what's that mean? Well, you do a little of this, a little of that, depends on the, that's like the consultant answer of it depends. Um, yeah. If you had a customer in, in bin situation where they were worried about outages and they still had local VDAs um, for either desktops or apps, what's your default answer to trying to solve that problem technically?
2: So technically if, that, if that's the case, then there's either gonna be some failover from the cloud services to an on-prem or the on-prem is primary with a failover to the cloud. Uh, but really once you're locking in those VDAs that are down local in your data center, yeah. um, you're gonna want that high availability coming out of the data center. Yeah. Because that, that's the other thing that a lot of people don't think about is that cloud itself may go out. You know, we may have these infrastructure hits we may have a customer that changes network settings that bring things down at the provider level, but you also have to take into consideration your connectivity, where your user is coming out from at home or the within the home office or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's where you want to make sure that do you have that high availability from your user's origination point. Yeah. So definitely, if I'm living on prem with VDAs and I, I want my high availability. At that on-prem location, with failover into the cloud or a data center. Um, so, John, so John, a couple yeah.
0: of questions for you on that. Does first of all, let's let's do this for the group, and I'll, I'll go around the horn here. Bill, at what point does round trip latency become an issue for the average user using the ICA protocol?
1: Uh, wow, two three hundred milliseconds, five hundred milliseconds, somewhere in that neighborhood. Round trip three three to five. That's when they start to notice. Well, they'll notice at 300, but they'll definitely notice at 500. That's that's what I've seen. You're okay. talking about ICA round trip or RT or, yeah. or uh okay, yeah,
0: ICA yeah, round trip. At what point does it become a little laggy feeling where you don't don't realize you're not local? 250. 250. John.
2: Yeah, exactly what Phil said.
0: 250. Ben. I'm no idiot. I'm going to agree with the experts. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for agreeing with me, Ben. I think it's about 80, but I think the studies show about 250. But as an, as an end user, I start to notice, I feel like I, and maybe I'm a little bit of critical, I start to notice about 80 to 100, I think, or at least I um, fool myself into being smarter than I am and, and think 80 to 100. But I think it's very usable um, up to the 200 range that uh, Bill and John alluded to.
3: So what's the first thing that draws your attention to it starting to degrade?
0: Uh, honestly, in today's world, when you're moving around and you're seeing animated stuff, uh, it either looks fuzzy, which I did the same thing on my TV last night. I changed uh, internet providers and I had to move some uh, hotspots around, access points around. Um, I start to notice fuzziness or I start to see a little lag or frame framey type of uh, animations.
1: See, that's because you're spending all that time watching videos. I notice it in typing latency, typing an email or typing into the Salesforce. Yeah, You start typing and you see your you're, you're like five letters ahead of where the screen is. That's where I start to see it. Yeah, see, I'll,
3: I'll start to notice it in Salesforce where going between accounts. You're switching between accounts, the lag going between accounts is what I'll start to notice
0: it. Yeah, yeah and keep in mind, you're talking to somebody who's literally got a full-time ping test going as they're flying. And I'm complaining <laughs> to the uh, flight attendant about how bad. the. I don't do that anymore. In fact, I guess I never did, but people do. I'm like, I'm just lucky to be using this stuff, but using my virtual desktop in the air becomes uh, sometimes amazing and sometimes challenging. Uh, John, your, uh, your take on this next section around around enterprise resiliency.
2: Uh, let's see, the enterprise part. Where where are we at there? Okay, so prior to cloud. Okay, um, so really what I was looking at, let me get back in there. Um, so I, I think it really comes down to that you know the, sorry, Andy, you caught me off guard there for a minute. I was looking at the wrong section. Um, it comes down to that business itself, as far as security, the trust of the users and the user data, as far as what's being stored in there. And I'd even go as far as the customer data. I mean, when we see all these things being compromised uh, today, ransomwares or Uh, any type of data that's being pulled out, that's where we've got to make sure we've got that balance of with these integrated technologies that we've had to deploy out for COVID with this new direction of focus that we're looking at coming out of the tunnel of COVID, you know, where does that security lie? Where do we need to tweak and enhance? I really kind of look at everything that we have went through has been a big technology learning, for enterprises, for all technology business side of the house, that eventually we'll get that best practice. I know, Ben, you brought up uh, about some comments, you know, what's, what's best. I, I don't think that you can pinpoint a white paper of this is how we, this is the best optimal deployment for a resilient environment. These are the top solutions that need to integrate for that. I think it starts to fan out to a catalog of solutions with that resiliency.
3: You know, one thing I think that is is a little bit addressed here, you know, what they're talking about is I've gotten environments where you've got a primary data center and then you've got a secondary data center, but that secondary data center didn't get built with best practice. And sometimes you find those things out on the back end. So one thing like with us at Citrix, when we're building our Azure environment, no 3389. They want you to kick that right off the bat. But when you go through a standard build in Azure, it puts 3389 in there. Well, if you're not paying attention to that, you could have VMs out there that have 3389 open. And so when I think of you know resiliency means enterprise security, you got to make sure wherever you're, and I'm going to use Citrix terms here, wherever your resource locations are, are they optimally secured and are they, is the security in those resource locations the same to where you don't have to worry about attacks in one facility that was built in a hurry or they might not have the same security practice because it doesn't have the same eyes on it. So that's one thing I think that this kind of goes into is you, know, you gotta have a security plan that includes all of the combination of things that could be going on, on-prem, cloud, third-party data center are both data centers or tri data centers at equal security values or is there something done different in one that's not being done in the other that creates a vulnerability if an attacker got in and was able to get to either one
2: Yeah, I agree completely with that. And you you think about a lot of these solutions that were thrown up there. A, a Zoom as an example. You know, how how often do we hear about organizations now moving to Zoom for meetings and conferences, data chats—that's something that an organization hadn't done before. There's data that's within Zoom; that's a different provider of a service. Did that adhere to those securities that were in place beforehand? And if it didn't, because we use the technology to get us through it, you know, how do we now go back and address those things? So that's a, that's a lot of what organizations need to look at today, and, and I think they're they're now being able to take a look and and kind of breathe a little bit to say, okay, how do we reapply how we did business before to the way we're doing business today?
0: So I I kind of screwed up a little while ago. I didn't ask John to answer the architect question with his business hat on because he might've answered it differently, but I'll bring it back here to point out that the fact that uh, when it comes to security, the architect and the business guy often start to blend together as to the point where we can't we can't have a production data center and then a secondary data center that's halfway halfway done. When it comes to security, it's all got to be done right. And all of a sudden, the uh, the need to blend a as a service approach where that's taken care of by somebody else and uh, you know real world needs all of a sudden maybe start to align, or would you think that they they become further apart?
2: I think they start to align.
0: Bill, as a guy who's leading teams doing this stuff, um, does that logic make sense? Or are we still living in a world where everybody get, just gets through it, halfway does one side of the equation, and then says they'll come back to the other side?
1: Uh, we still have people that are halfway doing it and say they'll come to the other side. But what we what we have run into more than once, in fact, very recently, is customers who want – they want GSLB set up or they want high availability set up between data centers, but there's nothing in the secondary data center except maybe a v a VMware environment or a Zen server environment. So I want to fail over to my Citrix environment in my DR facility, and that's great. What else is there? Well, we'll, we'll get Exchange moved or we'll get our vertical apps moved over in uh, our file shares. Well, we just want to present a, be able to present a Citrix desktop. So in a DR scenario in that, envir- in that example, they'll get a desktop button, won't really be able to do much with it. So we run into that. I've run into that as as you know as much as 10 years ago with customers wanting DR, but there was nothing there. And then there's the flip side, which is investment firms that are required to have a fully functional DR facility outside of their home zip code. This was post 9/11, and we had a customer that literally had a a warehouse that they had stage, old workstations set up. They were using Citrix VDI. They had all workstations set up, uh, each one with a flag that said, you know, resolution, accounting, finance, credit checks, all these things. And if they had a DR situation, they literally had, to, everybody had to pick up and go to that facility and do what they needed to do. I imagine today, they probably, most of them will probably go home and work in a cloud environment.
0: Well, and that's what this whole article is about. The pandemic forced that to happen and all of a sudden, some of those uh, bunch of old workstations that are remote location concepts that wasn't going to work in this scenario.
1: Yeah, exactly. It wouldn't have because they would have been, people would have been together. They'd have to go to a, a third location or to go home typically. And and that kind of gets us down to this
0: last section here where it talks about the uncertainty of, of what is coming is the certainty that we've got to get better at what we've the way we've been doing it in that way of, um, the idea just, we'll get to it later. Um, well, I just, it, it can't be that way.
3: Hey, Bill, I've got a question for you. How many times have you gone through a customer's DR plan for them to realize it wasn't really a DR plan?
1: Um, not that much. Uh, usually that comes up, um, We'll ask the question, and they'll say, "I have a DR plan." And if they start asking for us to help build DR, then we may look at it. But we don't. I, we don't typically. The, the SEs, John and and some of the other guys may be looking at that. But when it comes to an implementation side, we're you know focused on implementing what they've uh, what they've scoped out for us. So not oftentimes we'll find it out. We we might find out, hey, you don't have anything in DR because they told the SE, well, we're in the process of building that, but in fact. That process might be eighteen months, twenty-four months down the road. Makes little sense to build up, build a a a failover location for something that doesn't exist today. Yeah, I've
3: I've had a couple of incidences uh, where you know you're you're talking to the customer and they say they got DR and you go, okay, explain to me if you went down today, what would you do? What's your run books? What I what I've heard it referred to as, and it's it's amazed me how many customers kind of go, well, we don't really have a run book. And then you start going, okay, well, let's let's just, you know, let's play Do this out. Let's role play it. And then Do they, as they're role playing role it in their mind, they realize that uh, they don't have a run book and they don't have a method of, you know, getting restored quickly. And I think that's one of the things Andy had pointed out something that part of this article is how quick can you back get back to where you were? And that's something that when I start talking to customers, I try to make that a point of, have you you know one? Do you have a run book? And if you do have a run book, does the employees know that that run book exists? Do your team know that? Have they exercised this run book? Have they actually battle card this? And so, it's interesting to me how many customers don't have that, but yet they'll state they have a DR plan. So, uh, you you probably seeing much more of this than I am, but I have run into that a few times.
2: Yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely been a lot of customers that I've worked with. Uh, in the past as well as currently that they just don't have the idea of what's going on. Um, they have the capabilities they they have you know all the business end as far as you know the things you would need resources and licensing it's all on hand. so it's not really a matter of can they afford to do it they can do it uh, but they just don't understand it. It's you know I've got that secondary site what am I going to do with it? Um, am I running hot? Cold? Am I running hot? Hot? Um, where they can have those cap- capabilities to do that? Uh, am I? How am I failing over? You know, a lot of environments, it's all manual. When there's automation, it's in play. I know you want to not take the hands completely off the wheel, but a lot of the hands-on control that a lot of admins do today, that it doesn't need to be there. But you know, I, I see you're highlighting here on it, this, Andy. I mean. I really, I love that last sentence. I mean, that last sentence sums it up one hundred percent.
0: Yeah. Question for you guys in that conversation around DR? Were you talking about DR? Or were you talking about business continuity? Or were you kind of talking them together?
2: So, it, it, some of them, with with from my examples, uh, we weren't even discussing DR. They were discussing taking their solution to a next level upgrades what they do and then within discovery finding out that secondary site and not even being applied and that's where you kind of like you know do we want to talk about this first and have that conversation and some some people are open to that and receptive and say hey that does change my thought process on how it goes and am i doing dr am i doing pandemic am i doing you know redundant sites um some of them it's just this hey this last sentence, business as usual. We'll just keep on going and we'll we'll catch up on this later on as we go along.
0: Well, and I, and I think uh, minus the as usual piece or the oxymoron part that's in here, I think the answer to DR and business continuity and cloud services has to be business as usual. And all that stuff just becomes a moot point because it's happening. It's all resilient all the time. And cloud services is what's making it so where you can make that statement because that app you depend on is no longer your problem. It's Microsoft's problem. It's Google's problem. It's, it's uh, SAP's problem. You're just a subscriber to it as a service from potentially an app or some type of workspace, aka a desktop or some type of digital workspace. And that's going to fix a lot of problems for companies that, that they may or may not have known they had, but uh, it's going to fix it no matter what. Or at least going to shift their blame. <laughs> yeah all right guys well um as you can see in my video i've got an assistant who's shown up i need to help them a little bit um but this has been great and these types of conversations are always fun entertaining and, and relevant
1: yeah i would agree i i i wanted to add one last thing real quick here and that is uh, for ben's benefit i think ben you asked a question about uh You know, gateway service, on-prem, in the cloud. I don't know if you've had the opportunity yet or seen these other things that have been added recently, direct workload connection and service continuity. Those might help uh, this customer um, implementing some of those things or leveraging those in addition to the rendezvous protocol. Those might help your argument if you haven't already looked at them.
3: Yeah, I've got to come up on the rendezvous protocol. That was talked about in one of our department meetings and right. uh, yeah, man, I I thought it was neat that we could bypass the cloud connector, but of course I'm sitting there going, how many things are between the cloud connector and the VDA? Uh, yeah. But yeah, I've got I've got some legwork. That's the one great thing about being part of this podcast and working right. with companies like Zentegra and Citrix. That man, it's never ending, dude. There's always something to learn, always yeah. a sharp a saw to sharpen. Uh, and Andy, man, I appreciate you having me part of the podcast and I also appreciate you bringing the talent that you do to make this thing fun and educational. I get some benefit out of it. I have to assume our listeners are doing the same as I am.
0: Yeah, that's that's the uh, idea behind the partnership, right? And making sure that we both are talking and working together for the better good of the customer base. And you know, I'm I'm a little prideful of it, but we we do a heck of a good job of it.
2: Working with you guys.
0: All right. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate the time and uh, enjoy the rest of your your Monday.
2: You too. You too, Andy. Thanks. Thanks, guys.
0: Have a good one.